When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode is going to be a review of the win over the Browns and a preview of the game against Tom Brady's Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Who day? Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. Five straight wins. We started off two and three. We're seven and one since then. We've had one loss in the last two months. I'm getting used to winning. This feels really good. And you know, if we win out, we are the second seed minimum, no matter what happens with the other teams. So regarding the teams that are in the hunt and behind us, I don't even want to look at them. Because if we win one or two games, they lose a game or so, then they they can't catch us. Those teams basically have to win out and hope that we drop three games. And I don't think either one of those things are happening. So anyone behind us, they're in the rearview mirror right now. I don't even want to think about them. So let's think about the teams that are in front of us. So the Chiefs. We do have the tiebreaker on the Chiefs, but they are a game up on us right now. And they have an easy schedule. At Texans, the Seahawks, who seem to have plateaued, Broncos at home, and then at Raiders. So I don't know if they're going to lose a game in there. Maybe at Raiders the last week, divisional, you just never know. Maybe the Seahawks get hot again and light them up, but the Chiefs could very well win those four games. And if they do... They're going to be the first seed. We're going to be the second seed. If they drop one and we take care of business, we could be the number one seed. They're the only team really standing in our way. And then you have the Bills that have four games left. Home against the Dolphins, at Bears, at Cincinnati, and Patriots. We need one loss there, and that loss can be to us. So if we win out, we pass them, and they're in our rearview mirror as well. And then you move on to the Ravens, and they have a fairly easy schedule. At Browns, Falcons at home, Steelers at home but then they have to come to Cincinnati. So we beat them in the last week of the year. We put them in the rearview mirror too. So the only team that we don't control our own destiny against is the Chiefs. We just need them to drop one of those games. If not, then we're going to be the two seed if we can win out. I believe that we're going to beat the Bills. I believe that we're going to beat the Ravens. And I believe that we're going to beat the Patriots and the Bucks. And this team is going to be the first or second seed in the AFC. All right, so let's move on to some headlines. The first thing I want to go over are the injuries. We have T. Higgins with a hamstring that he injured in pregame warmups, and, you know, that could linger a little bit. I'm hoping that he comes back for the Buccaneers. If not, 
I wouldn't mind sitting him for a week or two and get him in full health for the playoff stretch because if you don't take care of a hamstring, it's going to recur and recur and recur. Then you have the Tyler Boyd dislocated finger. I saw it. Deion Jones kind of slapped at the ball at the last second. And you ever get that direct hit on like your finger when it's straight? Either like a ball hitting it or if you've ever gone to like tackle someone from behind and their their, their spike kicks up and gets you on the finger. That's exactly what happened to Boyd. That, that ball was coming in. The path of the ball was slightly altered and it just jammed his finger. Obviously, it was a nice bullet pass by Burrow to kind of thread it in there and it dislocated his finger. Another injury, which is not major, but it hurts a wide receiver. You're, you know, you're catching the ball with your hands, especially the good ones like Tyler Boyd. And now he's got a compromised finger. I'm sure that's not going to keep him out too long, but it could be something where he doesn't play next week and maybe we see him in, in two weeks or so. But I could also see him playing against the Buccaneers. It all depends his pain tolerance and how well they can dress that, where they protect the finger, but yet let him have the flexibility to be able to catch ball. So we'll see what happens there. But rough injuries with Higgins and Boyd coming out right away. And then Hendrickson broke his wrist at the end of the game. And that's another major one. I was looking forward to having him against Brady and getting a, getting some pressures. They don't have a great left tackle over there, so I thought it was going to be a nice big game for Hendrickson. I don't know if he's going to play with a broken wrist or not. I know he's a warrior and probably is going to try to play, but that's a rough injury. You you really are playing one-handed when you have a broken wrist. And that's going to take a month to heal properly, even a little bit longer. So I don't know what the plan for Hendrickson is, if they're going to ease him back in, if they're going to wait a few weeks. But those are three major players that might not be playing against the Buccaneers and may need another week or two beyond that to get back to relatively normal. Then you had Mike Hilton go out early in this game with a leg injury, but then he came back in. So we're not going to worry about that. And Jalen Davis is a very good cover corner in his place. If you if you look at that, like Hilton has the in-the-box and the blitzing ability and decent in coverage. And Davis doesn't really have the in-the-box skills of Mike Hilton. Very few corners do. But he's probably just as good or even a little bit better in coverage. So, hey, Mike Hilton's in the lineup. We're not going to fight with that. But if anything does happen to him, I'm confident that Jalen Davis can come in and it won't be a train wreck. All right, a couple personnel moves. Tyler Shelvin was waived. It just never worked out for him. Kind of like an Andrew Billings situation. Not every draft pick works out. And, you know, we had two years of very minimal production out of him. And Tupo's back, so there's not a lot of room for Shelvin right now. They decided to part ways. And they signed a tight end, Tanner Hudson. He's been in the league since 2018. He's got like 10 or so career catches. You know, kind of a journeyman. They put him on the practice squad. You can't really carry just two tight ends on your roster, so they added a second tight end to the practice squad because you never know. With Hayden Hurst out, it makes sense to have a tight end in there, but I'm hoping that Hayden Hurst comes back relatively quickly as well. And then kind of old news, Jesse Bates got fined $50,000 for faking that injury, and that makes sense. You really can't do that. It kind of makes a mockery of the officials and the league, and the NFL's not going to let that happen, and they, they want to set the example. They don't want guys just doing that randomly. It's really not good for the game. So Bates is $50,000 lighter in the pocket. I don't know if the team picks that up or whatnot. It almost feels like it's not really going to come out of him because he was doing it for the team. And speaking of, Jamar got fined basically like $15,000 for his money celebration in the face of Justin Reed. And if you ask him or any Bengal, it was worth it. And Travion Williams active over Chris Evans. Now, Chris Evans battling the knee injury, even though he had that big touchdown a couple weeks ago. But, you know, Travion Williams has played very well. He had those two huge plays and returning kickoffs better than Chris Evans. 
and I respect the coaching staff for that. They're not just going to say, well, Evans is the three, and Williams, you can't come in unless he gets injured. No, they, they said, who's the hot hand right now? And the hotter hand was Travion Williams, so Travion was active this week, and Chris Evans wasn't. And then the last thing I want to mention as far as headlines go is Dax Hill not getting any playing time. I mean, he's in there as a gunner right now. He's a first-round pick, got all the physical skills in the world, and you just want to see him get a little more time in the lineup, and you very rarely see him. They kind of morphed his role into a gunner special teams guy. And, hey, you know what? Use him where you can. It's obviously working. The secondary is playing excellently right now. But the thing is, if you are anticipating not re-signing Jesse Bates... You should be getting Dax Hill a little more game ready. There's opportunities for him to play free safety and get some snaps and experience just in case you do not bring Jesse Bates back. You want to have Dax Hill ready to play. And I've seen several opportunities where they could kind of get him ready for next year and they're just not putting them in there. And lastly, I just want to mention the respect that Joe Burrow seems to be getting around the league. All these players, they you can tell they really like him. They respect him. There's guys after the game wanting to shake his hands and take photos with him and ha- have him like sign autographs for him, basically, because they obviously realize he is the superstar, the next great superstar quarterback in the NFL. I mean, he's that right now. But it's also because he's humble and likable. We know Joe Burrow has a lot of self-confidence, and for good reason. And he has that swag about him. But when you, when they break it down, he's still real. He's still humble. He still will give you that like sheepish, humble smile and interact with people and say all the right things and not act like a diva or a superstar. And the league is noticing. They're saying this guy has more talent than basically anyone in the league. And he's down to earth and cool and humble. And that makes for a really likable person. And you can see it that players on our team, obviously, and the other teams really gravitate towards him. Week 14 review, Cincinnati Bengals 23, Cleveland Browns 10. The defense was outstanding. They let up 10 points, just 10 points again to their nemesis, the Browns. A ton of weapons on that Browns team, and they just couldn't do anything against this defense. And that's a credit to the coaching staff, the players. But what we were able to do is contain Nick Chubb, which we very rarely done over the last couple years. And what was happening is we were getting him going side to side a lot. If you look at a lot of his runs that kind of died on the vine, we got him going horizontally, not vertically. And we were doing that all day. He just couldn't get off the ground. He had 10 yards on his second carry. And then if you take all his other carries combined, he had like 20-something yards total. We were all over him. We finally figured him out. I'm hoping it's not just a one-time thing. I'm hoping that this continues because he has been a Bengal killer. But really the big key was getting him to go side to side. And the Browns should have been a little more aware of that. They should have been trying to run in between the tackles. Problem was that Reeder and Hill were having a monster game. So they were trying to go to the perimeter. And it didn't matter because Reeder and Hill were getting in there and stopping him on their way to the perimeter. So honestly, it feels like we beat up the bully in this game, and I, I give the defense credit, and containing him is a, is a major task for any team, and we finally did it. And what they did is they made Watson beat you, exactly what I was saying before the game. Just load up the box, sell out on Chubb and Hunt, and make a rusty Deshaun Watson try to beat you, and he could not do that. And then, of course, you look at the halftime adjustments. After the half, we let up one score, great defensive effort, Great stopping Chubb and great coaching and great halftime adjustments. And you saw it with the offensive players. They were all crediting the defense before they even talked about their own accomplishments or anything about the game. 
you heard it from Burrow, Chase, Irwin, anyone, Mixon, anyone who they interviewed, they were like, wow, the defense played an amazing game. And that's exactly true. So Cleveland won the toss and deferred. So I was like, we're going to get off to a good start. And we had a rare three and out. You don't see that happen a lot to this team on the first drive. It did in this game. And then you're starting to think, "Uh uh-oh, is this another Cleveland mismatch game? But it didn't turn out that way. And the Browns opening drive, they had a fourth and one. And you have Chubb in the backfield and and two Pro Bowl guards and a very good offensive line. What do they do? They bring in Brissett. And when they brought him in, I was like, all right, you know what? He's a running quarterback. They're going to have him run. Even though Deshaun Watson's a runner, I was like, well, Brissett's a little more powerful. They're just going to have him go right up the middle. And that's a crucial first down to get when you're fourth and one on your opening drive. And what do they do? They they try a long pass to the end zone that Brissett is not warmed up for. And even when he is warmed up for, he doesn't often have the accuracy to hit that throw. So I know they were trying to be clever, but they outsmarted themselves. And that was a bad play call. They end up punting the ball to us, and you know you saw how the game went from there. And they got away from Kareem Hunt. It seemed like I, I see what they're doing. They have like the Kareem Hunt drive, so you'll see Chubb for two or three series, and then you'll see Hunt for a whole series. I don't know if I like that. I mean, you do want to have the change of pace, but you should sprinkle both of those guys in on every series. And they weren't doing that. And you know what? Good, make the mistake. Kevin Stefanski has coached incredibly against us, and this game he did not. And you could see the zero blitz was confusing Watson. They were sending a lot of guys when they needed to. And he just did not know what to do with the ball. And he's just sitting there wanting to scramble. He can't find anybody downfield. The coverage was great, by the way. But there was one blitz in particular in the third quarter where they had Hubbard line up as a middle linebacker. So now he's got a running start. And they just send him from the middle. They had Logan Wilson as like a defensive tackle or in, you know, in that role on the field. And then they did some kind of stunt where him and Hubbard crossed you had Von Bell blitzing I mean we we were just exotic creative blitzes that's an example of one of them and Watson just did not know what to do with it the Bengals had a good run pass mix you know often when you have a Joe Burrow you want to just throw and throw and they got away from that and they they ran the ball when they needed to run it and the run set up the pass it set up play action so much good happened by them being a balanced offense And it was nice to see this game because, like I said, it's easy just to say, here, Joe, win the game for us. And, you you know, you forget about the other element. Teams are starting to key on everything that you're doing in the past game. And this was not an example of that. They did an excellent job mixing things up. Even when it wasn't working, they still stayed with it. And that's the key in the NFL. You can't just abandon the run game when it's not working. You're going to have those negative ones and ones and two yards. But then all of a sudden you're going to start popping off seven yarders and you're starting to eat the clock and the other team can't see the ball again. Big turning point in the game was the roughing the kicker by Tony Fields. It changed everything. You know, the game was kind of like back and forth. No one was scoring. We were way backed up, so they had a chance to get the ball in excellent field position. And he makes a major mistake and takes out Drew Chrisman. Chrisman was lucky because his leg wasn't planted at the time, so he just kind of got swept up and fell on his back. But he could have gotten really hurt on that play. But really, that that was a major, major mistake by them. Stefanski got mad at him on the sideline. And then they put him back in for the next play. He was like rushing from the outside. I was like, go right at this guy. He's rattled right now. The Bengals didn't, but I would have liked to have seen that. But yeah, major mistake, major turning point. And then we have the chase touchdown, that beautiful throw, which we'll go over in a little bit. But after that, we held them to a field goal. They only had three points in the whole first half. And that's a winning formula. When your team can hold a team back that much and you have that much explosiveness on offense, that's a win. And then what do we do? We score right before the half at the 24-second mark. 
You have Samaj P. Ryan going right into the end zone, 13-3, major swing there, and the Browns would never recover from that. And the Browns get the ball at the end of the half, and Cade York kind of got overly mad that they didn't let him kick a 67-yarder. I don't think it was a good move to have him try it. You know, the weather's a little cold. It's outdoor. You're on the road. It's not an ideal situation to try a 67-yarder. But he was, like, freaking out on the sidelines. And I'm like, all right, man, grow up. Get over yourself. You know, you're not you're not Justin Tucker. You're not Evan McPherson. Second half starts. Browns three and out. Huge swing there. Bengals get six at the end of the half because we missed the extra point. Browns get nothing to begin the second half. And, you know, that that's what wins games. Then we're in the fourth quarter. There's like 10 and a half minutes left. The Browns get an interception down by 13. So at this point, you know, you're like, oh, man, they just got a turnover. They got the ball around the 30. You know, if they score a touchdown, stop us, score another, we're going to be heartbroken at home here. But the defense would just not let that happen. And we even had a big stop on Chubb on a third and one, which was reader penetration and Hubbard sealing the edge in there and a major play in the game. And, you know, even though they had the big turnover late, which gave them hope, They couldn't do anything with it. And then they have the ball first and goal at the 10-yard line, six minutes to go, and they don't get any points out of it. Now, I know they're not going to kick the field goal because they needed two touchdowns there, but it's nice. They're on the 10-yard line, first down, and you hold them when they really, really needed to score there. This, This defense is playing championship level right now. And then we go to the four minute drill where either you're trying to score in four minutes and not give them the ball back, or you're trying to kill the last four minutes of the game. In this case, it was the latter. We got it with 3.43 left, and we made sure that the Browns never saw the ball again. And that's a couple games in a row of doing that to teams, where you know late fourth quarter, we get the ball, and we just find a way to keep the ball, run out the clock, and that's so frustrating for the other team. It's so frustrating for the fans. You know, We've been on the other side of it when we're watching teams just run out the clock on us. It's, it's an emotional killer. And then lastly, the game ends. The last thing I saw on the broadcast before I flipped the channel was Garrett and Burrow with a quick hug and a quick exchange. And I could be wrong, but it looked like Burrow smirked after it, but he probably didn't. He was probably doing that for someone else because I don't don't think he would be that disingenuine. But yeah, one of our biggest rivals, you know, breaking bread with with our, our main man there. All right, on to some observations about the offense. Joe Burrow, just seeing him in the black jersey, They had a shot of him where he was calling out the cadence. He was back there for the snap with the black jersey on. And I just got this charge, like, man, that's our guy. We are so lucky to be watching this quarterback. I rant and rave about Joe Burrow all the time. I know. But it's so rare that you have a quarterback that is this skilled. And, you know, there's there's 32 teams in the league. There's probably no more than five guys that give teams this kind of hope and this kind of exceptional quarterback play and guys just don't take it for granted you know we we know what it's like to have great quarterbacks we know what it's like to have bad quarterbacks and this guy is special and it's just a pleasure to watch him every week we are seeing so many high level throws and so many high level escapes and creativity and and reading the field it's just something that I just never want to take for granted I hope he stays healthy if he does we are in for 10 12 years of being a contender and I, I just couldn't be happier. And this game, you know, they kept saying during the broadcast, oh, Joe Burrow's three for 10, or, you know, whatever it was. All right, it wasn't his best game numbers-wise or rating-wise, but he played well. You know, he won the game. He threw some incredible passes and just kept us on top in this game for the whole time. 
And, you know, he missed a couple throws, but everyone's going to miss a couple throws. A couple balls were tipped. You can't always prevent against that. There's, you know, exceptional defensive linemen that are all 6'4 to 6'7, and it's sometimes it's not easy to just throw over them. And, and even Joe Burrow said, if you're thinking too much about that, you're going to make a mistake downfield. So that's kind of part of it. we got to accept those things when it happens. You know, they're going to find every way to make sure that these tip balls aren't a constant occurrence. But the way he's playing, that's just one minor blip on the radar. And I like the fact that he's not afraid to call a timeout on an important third down, even if it's early in the game. He did that this game. He did that a couple games ago where it's like, oh, we wasted a timeout. But no, that's a crucial play when you're on a, th- a third down where you need to keep the drive going. And you don't just want to phone it in and rush it just to save some arbitrary timeout. So I like the fact that he's bold enough and brave enough to do that and not just needlessly hang on to timeouts when you really want to get yourself in a different look on a third down play that needs to work. And he's making a lot happen with his legs. And the thing is, and again, I don't want other teams to hear this, but he is scrambling right a lot, but that's natural for a righty quarterback. But either way, what he's doing with his legs is amazing when there's nothing there, he seems to run for the first down all the time. And when there's pressure, he scrambles away from it. And if you think about it, Garrett was coming from the left a lot in this game. So the logical thing to do is scramble to the right. And that's exactly what he did. And he had great success both throwing on the run when he scrambled and running the ball for first downs and good yardage. And he's always taking big hits, whether it's sacks or not. He had one run where Deion Jones popped him so hard on the right shoulder. And that's like the, that's the worst thing. All right, don't hit Joe Burrow in the knees, and don't hit his throwing arm. Those are the big things, and it seems to happen constantly. He's taken a lot of hits on that shoulder and a lot of falls on that shoulder over the last month or so, and that's something that you just want to be very careful of because this franchise is riding on that right arm. And he had no Hurst, no Higgins, no Boyd, and he can overcome that like a vintage Tom Brady. It doesn't matter who's out there. I can make any receiver look like a number one, and that's what Joe Burrow did. And Irwin's a good player. Trent Taylor's a good player. And when you have Joe Burrow there, he's going to make them look like even better players, and that's exactly what's happening. He's putting throws in exact windows, not just on target, but the reality is a lot of these throws are like within inches of where they need to be, not just in the vicinity or a catchable ball, like, you know, three inches away from perfection or basically perfection on these plays and I'm, I'm amazed at how accurate he is and that's not easy especially when you have an offensive line that's suspect now they're playing well right now but he's still taking hits there's still pressure he's playing defenses that are really good and a lot of skilled players out there and he's just fitting it into into a shoebox downfield like constantly it's it's special all right on to the rest of the offense chase with 10 catches he's really the only starting wide receiver out there in this game, and they knew it, and they still couldn't stop him. And they put Ward on him a lot one-on-one, thinking, hey, he's our best guy, that's your best guy, and Chase was making him look ridiculous. And, I mean, Chase is going to do that to most people. Glad to see the hip is healing nicely. He's another special player. I am so glad that we drafted him. I know Panay Sewell had a big first down catch, but, um, you know, Panay Sewell is not going to win games with his receptions. And Jamar Chase totally is. And he took a big shot in this game, too. But he's so tough. I mean, a lot of guys would have went out. I thought, did he bang his head too hard? He's got a concussion. But Jamar Chase is built like a running back. And those big hits do not phase him at all. 
And then he had the play where he took the reverse and there was nothing. It was dead in the water, so he pretended he was going to throw it. I love it because they interviewed him after. And I knew it on the, at the time. I'm like, there's no way that that was, uh, that, that was intended to be a pass, especially because you're seeing linemen go downfield. And sure enough, it wasn't. He was just trying to trick them. And I think that's clever. I don't think I've ever seen someone do that on a reverse. So, you know, kind of fun, kind of lighthearted. And he was smart enough not to throw it because if those linemen are downfield and he throws it, it's going to be a penalty. And then the other receivers, Trent Irwin is just playing really, really well. He had a big first down catch. Obviously, the catch on the flea flicker. He's a pro wide receiver, and it just took some opportunity for the league and everyone to notice that. And when you have an all-world quarterback throwing to you, it's going to help. And Trent Taylor played well. He had a nice catch and run right before the half, which was big. It set up a score. And whenever he's called upon, he seems to do the job as well. So, you know, there is a drop-off between Boyd and Higgins and Irwin and Taylor, but all these players are playing well, and they're all contributing to victories, and they all have Joe Burrow's faith. So that's all we need to know. Pirine and Mixon is turning into a nice one-two punch. Mixon seems not totally back to normal yet. And he almost had 100 yards this game, but a lot of it was on one carry. He had a couple decent carries late to kill the clock. He'll be back to normal in a week or two. I'm feeling that. But Pirine is, is playing lights out and deserving of splitting time at this point. He had that touchdown where he had the second effort where everyone kind of gave up, but he didn't give up, and he was not on the ground. So he runs into the end zone. I know he had two drops in the passing game, but neither one was an easy catch. But he is just lighting it up. And again, when you have that one-two punch... And then you have Williams and Evans behind him. You have a really, really solid running back room. Wilcox is doing outstanding in the blocking game. I talk about it a lot, but really, watch on a play-by-play basis. This guy is really embracing the role of a blocking tight end. And it's going to keep him around if he can continue that. And Asiasi is also blocking very well. He's a, he's a monster out there. He did get beat by Clowney on one screen pass, where Clowney just kind of came in and blew up the play. But I almost consider that a weakness in the play call, where you have a tight end one-on-one against like a Clowney or a Garrett. That shouldn't be schemed up that way. But it was on the other side of the field. They figured he could slow up Clowney enough where the play, the screen could get off on the other side. But that didn't happen that way. But really, he's blocking phenomenally as well. Both of these tight ends are like extra offensive linemen right now, and you see it by the way the run game is just devastating teams. Offensive line was stellar. Volson is getting better and better. There was one play where he totally got bowled over, and I was like, oh no, here we go. And he held up the rest of the game, especially in the, in the run blocking, but his pass blocking was solid too. Jonah had a good game against Miles Garrett. Not a perfect game, and I know Jonah had the penalty, but I've been impressed by him the last couple weeks. Jonah, please just continue on this path. This is what we need out of you. You keep playing like this, and sky's the limit for this team. Collins had a couple holding calls. He was having a little bit of trouble with Clowney, but I thought he played well too. I think the whole offensive line has been playing great. And Karras and Kappa, the usual, just basically flawless games. We're going to go into the sacks a little bit later, and there were some stunts that Kappa didn't pick up. But on a play-to-play basis, he's playing as good as any offensive lineman on this team. And obviously, Karras, with the line calls, very few mistakes, rarely gets a penalty. Those two guys have been excellent acquisitions. I mention that every episode, and they just never seem to let me down. All right, regarding the defense, I want to do a quick roll call, because these are the guys that have really been behind the scenes and making this defense a special one, and winning games and making adjustments. Coach Anarumo, 
Coach Livingston and Coach Burks on on the secondary. You're getting you know Cam Taylor Britt up to speed. Jalen Davis comes in. There's no drop off. You've gotten the most out of Eli Apple. You know Bell and and Hilton and Bates all playing well. And those guys are great players, but it's also great coaching. So Coach Livingston, Coach Burks, you're doing a great job. Coach Hobby with that defensive line, same thing. Anyone who they're rotating in there, you know, obviously you have your stars that are playing well, the, the front four, but Tupo's playing well. Sample's contributing. Osai is, is picking it up. The coaching there has been phenomenal. And then Coach Betcher, the linebacker's coach, they were really excited about bringing him on, and Coach Kovacs, his assistant. And you're seeing it. Pratt and Wilson are playing at a Pro Bowl level. And whoever they bring in, Bailey contributes when he's in there. Davis Gaither contributes when he's in there. Even, you know, Bocce and Johnston, you've seen growth out of those guys. So really excellent coaching throughout. And they still have Coach Duffner and Coach Chaffee, who are like consultants. But, you know, those are veteran coaches. They're not in the trenches like the other coaches are with the guys on a regular basis. But they're analyzing the defense. They're analyzing the game plan. They're making suggestions. They're coming up with ideas. And those guys are also silently contributing as well. So that defensive coaching staff lights out, guys. You guys deserve all the accolades in the world right now. So let's move on to the players. DJ Reader is playing at an all-pro level. I mean, he was beating double teams this whole game. He made virtually every play. It was like, oh, we, we stopped Chubb for a yard. Who's at the bottom of the pile? Oh, it's DJ Reader again. He's so underrated. He had his fourth batted ball in the last three games. So in addition to stuffing the run, he's jumping, getting his hands up. He's making plays downfield by hustling. He better be named to the Pro Bowl this year. I don't. I can't think of a lot of players that are more deserving than him. And it's not about the sacks. It's not even about the tackle numbers. It's just the impact that he makes when he's on the field. And what a phenomenal free agent signing this has been. And B.J. Hill is playing just as well. He had a tip ball on a third and four in the red zone. He was contributing. He got a game ball just like D.J. Reader. He was in there on a lot of those run stuffs keeping Chubb at bay, not letting Watson run all over the place, you know, forcing Chubb to go horizontal and not just right up the middle because you have these two defensive tackles that are just playing lights out. And it was nice to see Tupo back in there. He contributes when he's in there as well. You you can't just be two guys. You need a rotation of people. And Zach Carter almost had a sack in this game. Tupo's playing lights out in the run game. So this defensive tackle group is really at the top of the league, just like it was last year. Hubbard's all over the place in the run game, and the pass game. He had a big stop, which was almost a tackle for a loss earlier in the game. He had a sack later, just hustling all over the field, contributing. Logan Wilson, 17 tackles. And there was a play where Peoples-Jones was kind of wrestling with one of the corners, and Wilson just comes in and just cleans his clock and knocks him out of bounds. So he's hard-hitting. He's all over the field. Wasn't letting up anything in the pass game, and 17 tackles in an NFL game. Excellent job, Logan Wilson. I hope the Pro Bowl is knocking on your door as well, too. Cam Taylor-Britt, I mean, he's the one I guess we could talk about more than anybody. He was beat on the first play of the game. Aside from that, the coverage, the tackling, he had a big hit on Chubb. The attitude, the speed. Even when he gives up a pass, he's close in coverage. He had two TD-saving pass breakups, one on Cooper, one on Peoples-Jones. He's just all over the field. I can't believe we're getting this production out of a second-rounder. And I give a lot of you Bengal fans credit because when we drafted him and Hill, a lot of the fans were more excited about Britt. And I was like, well, Hill's the first rounder. We should be more excited about him. But the way they're playing right now, Cam Taylor Britt is is shining. And if he can turn from a second-round pick into a bookend corner, 
we we made a great choice there, and that's really going to help this team. And he's looking like he's getting it right away. And Eli Apple continues to play like a first-rounder. I'm not even going to go off on it. Just watch the tape. On a down-to-down basis, he is playing excellently. Bates had the interception. It was a bad read by Watson and an excellent read by Bates. Watson was kind of zeroing in on a receiver. Bates saw it and comes from center field over to make a huge interception and basically ice the game. And Njoku had a touchdown where there was Bates' tackle to make, but Bates kind of slipped heading over there. So, you know, it's still, he made a mistake. Njoku got the touchdown, but I did see Bates slip. It wasn't a mental error or a physical error. It was a, a footing error, unfortunately. But a good game out of Jesse Bates again, too. Osai had a nice hit on Watson and had some pressures in this game. I just want to see him not on the ground as much. It's it's constantly, I'm like, why is number 58 on the ground all the time? And, you know, some guys are like that. They're just putting in so much effort that they're just fighting to the death for each play. Marvin Lewis always said, you got to stay on your feet because you're not going to make any plays if you're on the ground. So maybe Osai's got to get used to not diving as much or maintaining his balance a little bit. But I, I see him playing better over the last few weeks and he's another guy that we're really high on, and he just needs a little more time. I think as the season goes by, I think we're going to see him make some good plays in the playoffs and whatnot because the arrow is pointing up for Joseph Asai. Von Bell had another great game. He had a big hit on Donovan Peoples-Jones, and the whole team was just rallying to the ball. You know, there's times where they check it down, and you see three or four Bengals just coming up, and you're like, well, they're not getting the first down on this one. So well-coached, excellent tackling, excellent hustle. When you rally to the ball... Good things are going to happen, and this defense has been doing this all year. Special teams, not much to talk about. Chrisman was off a little bit, but still doing the job. McPherson had the extra point that kind of sailed left on him, but he hit the other extra point, hit the field goal. I have no concerns about that. I thought the Gunners did well in this game. We had a couple decent returns. It seems like our special teams aren't as potent as they were last year, but they're not losing games for us this year, and there's a lot of good players on there, and they have a great coach as well. All right, so let's go over some key plays in the game. The first one was the Burrow 15-yard touchdown to Jamar Chase. So what do they have? They have four wides. They have three guys on the right, Chase alone on the left. And the guys that are in trips on the right, what happens is two of them do turnarounds, and Trenton Irwin flies towards the end zone. So when the two inside guys do the turnarounds, they occupy three guys. So there's three guys in the secondary focused on two guys that are running short routes And then you had five guys rushing on that. They sent an extra guy. So all you have left on the back end is a safety playing center field and one-on-one coverage on Jamar Chase and Trenton Irwin. And Chase doesn't do anything special. It's basically just a straight route. He makes a nice juke at the line to get open, but he just kind of runs straight. And Burrow puts it right on his hip. It was the perfect anticipation throw. Burrow saw it. There was pressure. He had to get rid of the ball at that instant. And he was like, I'm going to put it right there because that's where he expects it to be. And Chase doesn't even realize that the ball's on him that quickly. He just looks up, and all of a sudden the ball is like in his midsection. Another undroppable ball with perfect timing. And he dropped it in between Ward and Johnson, who are two good players. So heads up on Jamar Chase for not panicking and grabbing that ball when it came, but heads up for Joe Burrow for just throwing an otherworldly pass. And then we got to see the gritty again. Second big play was the flea flicker to Irwin. It's always exciting when you see a play like that. And we don't do a lot of trick plays. So in this case, you have three wide receivers. Burrow hands it to Mixon. The corner and the safety that are on Irwin's side, they come up to stop the run. 
and Irwin flies by him, and then they they realize, oh man, we got to get back there, but n- you can't do it in time. When you're an NFL wide receiver with that kind of speed, and you have the defenders take two or three steps forward, they're not. No matter how talented and skillful they are, they're not going to be able to stop on a dime, come back and catch up to you. And that's exactly what happened. Irwin was wide open. Burrow puts it 44 yards in the air, the back-breaking TD to go up 20 to three. And that's a tough throw and a tough catch because it's so easy. It's so easy to make a mistake on. And Burrow put it perfectly. And Irwin didn't panic. You know, a lot of guys, it's just too easy and they're going to get flustered or lose concentration and drop that ball. Irwin was right on it and he got his big moment. And even after the play, you saw Joe Burrow smiling. Like, you know, that that's a good thing because a lot of times he's showing the intensity. And in this case, he realized, wow. This is fun. Then the last play I wanted to highlight is the Mixon 40-yard run. You had two tight ends on the right. You had Irwin coming over in motion kind of away from that side, and you do the quick toss to Mixon to that side. And then you have Asiasi sealing the defensive end. You have Collins going to the second level blocking. You have Wilcox taking out Newsom. Kappa shoves his guy off out of the play into the backfield. Volson and Jonah hustle over from the other side and help blocking. It was Mixon's play, but I wanted to highlight all the work that the guys did in the blocking game that sprung that run. And then 40 yards, Mixon off to the races. You know, finally the DBs catch him downfield, but a major backbreaker and a really fun play to watch. And you just love to see the blocking executed like that. So sacks, to my knowledge, there was only one, and it was when Volson got beat and Burrow kind of scrambled up into the pocket, and Garrett was right there. You know, Jonah held his block for long enough, but when Burrow scrambled, he kind of ran right into Garrett. So that sack is really on Volson, not on Jonah. And then there were two other sacks that were negated by penalty, and in both cases, they were the exact same thing, where you have Kappa and Collins on that side, and they do a stunt with Clowney, and Kappa doesn't catch the stunt. He's double-teaming the interior guy who goes to the outside. He's double-teaming, and he forgets about Clowney. That happened twice, but both were penalties, so Kappa's not going to get credited with giving up those sacks, nor is Clowney going to get those sacks. But it's something that we want to look at on film and make sure that we have corrected. And that hasn't been a problem for Kappa and Karras and, and those guys as far as picking up stunts. Volson's been a little vulnerable to it because he's a young player. But in this case, they got us on it twice, but it's on tape. No harm, no foul. Burrow didn't get hurt. Neither one of them counted. So you can see us making the improvements in the weeks to come as these crucial games come up. The interception was just a tip ball by Clowney, and it went right into Deion Jones' hands. And then, I don't know, Deion Jones is out of his mind. He tries to pitch it at the last second, and the Browns are lucky they recovered, but just a real boneheaded play. I I don't know what was going on. It seems like the Browns, you want to give credit to the coaching staff with Stefanski, but I saw several examples in this game of bad coaching. So the last thing for this game is I want to go over the first series of the second half just to see the adjustments that we made and the mentality going into the half. So we started off on the 15-yard line because of a penalty. First play, three wide receivers. We throw an out to Wilcox for 10. Second play, three wide receivers. Wilcox has an H-back. We fake the pass, and we hand off to Mixon up the middle for 13 yards. That was a smooth one. You thought they were just going to whip it out to chase on the perimeter. Everyone looks that way and he just hands it to Mixon. Very good play call there. Third play was a four wide receiver out to chase for 10 yards. Fourth play, four wide receivers. Burrow wanted Irwin on the out, but he checked down to Mixon for six yards. Next play, we have three tight ends on the right. 
Chase by himself on the left. We just do a quick slant for seven yards. But Jonah is an ineligible man downfield, and that kind of killed the drive, unfortunately. After that, we had three wide receivers. Burrow was looking for Pirine, but he got sacked. And then the last play was we were third and 13. So we have three wide receivers, and we just throw a screen to Pirine, kind of phoning it in, trying to earn field position and not take any risks. And that ball was actually deflected as well. So we came out of the locker room with a plan. It was like, all right, get Wilcox the ball. Let's isolate Chase. Let's give him a three tight end look. You know, let's let's get the ball to P. Ryan out of the backfield a little bit. So they were mixing it up when they came out of the locker room. Unfortunately, that series did not result in a score, but we scored enough for the rest of the game to not have to worry about that. So that's it. Big win against Cleveland. The monkey is off our back. We don't have to answer questions anymore about why we can't beat Cleveland. We needed this win to stay ahead of the pack. And a huge win by Cincinnati in their division and a decisive win. A little shorthanded, but it didn't matter with Joe Burrow and the way this defense played. AFC North Standings The Cincinnati Bengals are currently 9-4 and and tied for first in the AFC North with the 9-4 and Ravens. And they lead the 5-8 and Browns and the 5-8 and Pittsburgh Steelers. The Bengals are currently the fifth seed in the AFC. Week 15 preview. Cincinnati Bengals at Tampa Bay Buccaneers. All right, so on the road to Tampa Bay, which looked like a much tougher game earlier in the season, I watched them play yesterday and they did not look good at all. Not to say that they're not going to have a bounce back game against us. But man, I don't know what's going on with that team. Tom Brady, everything. They're just it seems like they're falling apart a little bit. Even Brady and Evans arguing on the sideline. You know what? I was like, bring it on. Let him be in disarray for when they play us. So what are you looking at? It's Todd Bowles coach team, and you know, he's he's a veteran coach. I didn't think he did a good job with the Jets, and apparently he's not doing a great job with the Buccaneers as well. So, you know, the jury's out on Todd Bowles as a head coach. Byron Leftwich is a good offensive coordinator. He's got a good chemistry with Brady. And they have two defensive co-coordinators, Casey Rogers and Larry Foote. You remember Larry Foote from the Steelers days. And it's kind of strange. I haven't really seen a team do that. But, you know, their defense is playing pretty well. So, you know, whatever. I guess it's working for them. Offensively, they're 32 in the rush and they're fifth in the pass. So offensively, what are we looking at with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Tom Brady, all-world quarterback, seeming like he's reaching his end, still has a great arm. You know, the brain didn't go away. He can still read defenses. He's struggling a little bit. I don't know what to expect out of him this game. They're on a little bit of a down right now, so I'm hoping that that continues. Running back, they were running Rashad White a lot in this game, and Ronald Jones, and I didn't see that much of Fournette. I thought Fournette was their number one. I don't know how that works. I guess it's a little bit of a committee there, but it seemed like he was the third option, that running back. And again, they're not that great of a rush offense, so I don't know if there's a lot to worry about. Even though Leonard Fournette has a big name, you know, was there for that Super Bowl run, it just seems between the three of them that it's not a force to be reckoned with. Mike Evans is a phenomenal receiver. Chris Godwin's a phenomenal receiver, although I don't think he's totally healthy. Scotty Miller is like their deep threat. They use Russell Gage a little bit. The aging Julio Jones is in there too, and he's contributing a little bit, but he's nothing on what he used to be. So a lot of this is you see guys on paper, we'll say Fournette, Godwin, Julio Jones, that aren't playing up to the back of their football cards, as, as, the, as the quote goes. 
you know, Fournette and Julio Jones more because of age, Godwin because of injury. But regardless, these guys are not playing phenomenally this year, and it's going to help when we go down to Tampa Bay. They have a strong offensive line, even though there's a ton of injuries. Obviously, they lost Kappa. Jensen was hurt in the beginning of the year. Werfs is hurt. They're big-time left tackle. But the backups are playing very strong, except the left tackle, Donovan Smith. So I don't know if Hendrickson is playing this game, but whoever's out there, you want to try to exploit that because that seems to be the weak spot on this offensive line. So how do we defend against this Buccaneers team? I think you just have to sell out and stop Brady. You have to commit and say, all right, we're not going to let Mike Evans beat us. And then tight end, they have Oton and Brate. You know, Brate's pretty decent, but nothing that's going to really change the game for them. So the goal is you sell out, stop Brady, don't let Mike Evans beat you. You know, we hope we can do a number on Chris Godwin. If they put him in the slot, that might be a mismatch for Hilton. But I think regardless, that's the key. Just like last week, you load the box and stop Chubb. This week, you make sure that you have Brady contained and you you take away his number one target. Again, the Bill Belichick mode. Take away their best weapon and let them beat you with their second and third best weapons. Defensively, Devin White and Levante David are amazing in the middle. They're hard hitters. They blitz, they cover, they tackle. So those are two guys to be definitely aware of at all times. Defensive line is solid, but not a big sack defensive line. You know, they have Golston, they have Joe Tryon, Shoyinka, but none of these guys are like really lighting it up from the outside. They're a little bit better inside with Raheem Nunez, Rochez, Akeem Hicks, the veteran, and Vita Vea when he's healthy is also playing well for them. So, you know, they're, they're strong in the interior and their pass rush isn't that great. Then you move on to corner. Jamel Dean is having a great year. Carlton Davis is doing well on the other side. They have Zion McCollum in the slot. He's struggling a little bit. Now, this would be a Tyler Boyd game. Tyler Boyd might not be playing in this game, but whoever is there, you want to try to exploit that matchup on their slot corner. And then they got two veterans, Logan Ryan and Keanu Neal at safety. Ryan's playing well. Neal's playing decently. I, I think he was all over the field last game. So those are two guys that you have to worry about. So I think they have a very good secondary. I think they have very good linebackers. And I think they have a decent defensive line more on the interior. So what I think we need to do in this game is Joe Burrow's going to have more time to throw than normal. So that's that's the secret. You're going to do some damage on the ground because they're not rated highly against the rush, but they do have good interior and good linebackers. So you can't just go by yardage statistics and their ranking They're good players, and it's a good defense. So again, the way I attack this defense is let Joe Burrow throw the ball all over the field. Because I don't care how well the corners are playing. I don't care who's playing safety. If Joe Burrow has time to throw, he's going to dissect the defense. And this is no exception. This is a game for that. He's going to have time to throw. And no matter who's out there covering, he's going to find these receivers. And that's going to be the key. Then you sprinkle in some Mixon and some Pirine to keep everything honest. And I can't see us losing this game. I have 27-13 Bengals. Tampa Bay can't score, and the Bengals can. And I predict us scoring a few touchdowns and a few field goals. And I picture them struggling to score more than one touchdown. Bengals go to 10-4, and and that Super Bowl dream is that much closer. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be a review of the game against the Buccaneers and a preview of the upcoming game against Bill Belichick's New England Patriots. And we're also going to welcome in some special guests as well. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. Thank you.
the unofficial Bengals podcast.